Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Joining me the morning after Damian Lillard was traded not to Toronto, but instead to the Milwaukee Bucks via three-team trade uh, is our very own Michael Grange. Um, okay, Grange, we'll start here. What, was this a surprise to you? Did this come as a surprise? Yeah, that the Bucks got it done, it was. And, and you know, more significantly, you know, as I kind of called around... Uh, it was a surprise, I think, league-wide. Like, like, I think uh, even yesterday morning, I had a tweet out that, you know, people were kind of like, the Raptors were out. Um, and But the sense was, you know, Miami was just kind of going to kind of come to the table late and make something happen. But um, you know, no one really predicted Milwaukee. And and I think, yeah. So, so yeah, on that level, it was a surprise. Yeah, so... Obviously, Toronto was involved, um, and you know you had confirmed that earlier on in the week uh, with another article up at Sportsnet.ca. Um, but I, I wanted to ask, especially now that the trade is done, um, what was the extent of Toronto's involvement on this deal? Like, how, I wouldn't say how seriously did they pursue it, but like, you know, what was the extent of that involvement? Yeah, I think they were they were pretty involved. Um, like, it wasn't like they were, you know, make or breaking it, but they, you know, I think that they looked at and I wrote about this last night and and you know I think that they looked at this as an opportunity to get a really good player obviously um and the hope was to be able to do it without disturbing their existing core too much and and I think when when this first started coming out about Toronto being involved you know by process of elimination I just assumed presumed um you know had it intimated to me that you know it was going to be OG and Anobi would be the centerpiece of a deal going out, right. and and I think from the Raptors' point of view, which makes perfect sense in retrospect, you know, you, to add a guy like Dame Lillard, it's a go for it move, and if you're going to go for it, you want him to be joining the most robust rotation possible, and so I think if you know if you kind of read between the lines there, and then I've talked to some people close to the Portland situation that um you know toronto was trying to get this deal done without og being in it they were mm-hmm. ready to go pretty deep into into draft capital to do it like i think they would have gone three firsts a couple of swaps probably grady being involved but you know coming back would you know plus whatever necessary to make the cap money the money work by coming back it would be dame joining a team that included og and Anobi and um you know, so I think from Portland's, Portland's point of view, um, you know, they, they decided to move along from that. And, and I don't think Toronto saw the point of uh, making a go-for-it move if you're kind of losing a key roster piece or more, um, you know, when you've, you're kind of building a trade around a 33-year-old. 30, 30, yeah, I mean, assuming that OG's not in this deal, Scotty's not in this deal, Pascal's not in this deal, uh, obviously, Jakob can't even be traded because he just got signed. Um, even just to make the money work, that's a minimum Gary Trent, Chris Boucher, Thad Young, Otto Porter. And you might say, well, Boucher, Thad, Otto, you know, look, that's part of the business. You don't miss them as much. Trent, obviously younger, but extension eligible. Maybe you don't feel that great in extending him. But, I, I mean, even at that point, there there is a lot of, I think, trade, uh, like, uh, 
equity to this deal just based on those picks. But I think from the Portland perspective, they might think, well, we could get a lot of that value through Drew Holiday. You know what I mean? Like, I think that Drew yeah, no, could I give think... you a portion of that as well. So yeah, maybe that's then... their thinking on this because it's a little confused by the, the, the package they accepted on the whole um, and how it compares to this. Right. I think I think a couple of factors, too, is, is you know, if you're looking in terms of value of future picks, um, you know, those those bucks picks and we've seen this with some other teams too like you know those those picks that are attached in these kind of superstar type trades that that extend way out in the future like those ones we haven't actually seen all of them come to fruition yet because a lot of them have mm-hmm. been six five six seven years in the future but you know they look really valuable and and i mean i i, I so i think from portland's point of view like you know in which 2020 30 pick is more likely to be better and you know you might just say uh, Milwaukee's and you kind of go down that that road but you, as you point out like with Drew Holiday I think the the asking price right now is is two firsts so if they're able to get right. that um you know all of a sudden they've traded uh Dame Lillard for uh DeAndre Ayton who's you know say what you want he's a pretty young player talented player fills a need uh and five future firsts and right that's not a bad return for a, for a 33 year old with 200 million off on his deal. I don't think anyway. Um, and, and I guess the other factor here and is, is that they were able to facilitate a deal with the Suns, and mm-hmm. would Toronto have been able to, uh, to do that is, isn't entirely clear either. So, so I just think that there were some complications there and, but ultimately, you know, uh, Toronto was doing, trying to do this without including, a significant piece of their current core and uh you know and and i think they, the trailblazers based on what they've done is you know they 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 wanted to do this deal while while uh you know they wanted all the picks they could get but they wanted some talent too yeah i mean first off both the deal that they did and also this offer from toronto i think they were both better than uh miami's offer um i think gary would have been that piece that would have been rerouted to phoenix I, yeah, um, yeah, that's, I think I th- it would have had to be, yeah. Right, but I mean, ultimately, in this deal with Milwaukee, you know, Phoenix was able to get Grayson Allen, who, which I mean, like, whatever, Grayson Allen is just Grayson Allen, but still, um, a, a playable piece on a you know championship contender, uh, who is under contract at the shooting guard position, like you know that that is something that I think even if they were to get Trent, um, they would have to re-sign him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess what was what was the Raptors front office in terms of just like, had they made this trade work? Did did they feel like that was putting them into championship contention in this case? I you know? think it was, I don't know if it's championship contention, but I think it's contention, okay. <laughs> right? Like, sure. Like okay, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, I think they look at, you know, so let's imagine the trade doesn't go well. Milwaukee's teetering, right? Like, I mean, they did, you know, in the sense yep. that they, they didn't do this damn trade and we all seen all the noise around them. Uh, Miami hasn't improved themselves. You know, Boston is, you know, on paper looks really good, but you know, we'll see. So I think that they just look at this window as, as a little more, they just like see an opportunity. I think they would see an opportunity. And I think granted their team would have some depth issues, but they would have a pretty good top six or seven. Um, and would that, could that be enough in a, fairly shaky Eastern conference. I think that was the mindset 
And, mm. you know, maybe you're, you know, you're a pretty good team this year. You're, you know, you, some of your younger pieces are still improving and, you know, then you, you know, next in the off season, you have the opportunity to use whatever exceptions to add that piece that we've seen elite teams do. So you probably have a two year window at this and, um, you know, you know, maybe that's, that's the thinking, but, uh, yeah. So I, I just think that, that, I do think that the calculation around the league has changed a fair bit. It's going to be increasingly, you know, we've always seen parity, I think, become a bigger thing. I think it's going to be the perception among front offices is that's going to be a bigger and bigger factor uh, just because of the new CBA rules and, and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, I think that there's going to be more opportunities to be in the mix and being in the mix is going to have, you know, a greater value than, you know, the need to kind of sit back and, and wait until you can build a super team over and over again. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like the comparison that this Damian Lillard trade potential, um, you know, the made the, the comparison was made to the Kawhi trade. And I, and I just thought like, look, obviously when you make, if the Raptors had made a trade like this, where they're essentially swapping Gary, some, you know, filler salary, and then some futures, turn it into Dame, that team is still not as good as that 2019 Raptors team. Not even but close. they don't have to be. <laughs> but they don't have to be, though. You know what I mean? I like, the competition in the East isn't that great anymore. Um, there is not that version of that Sixers team that was super, super loaded and pushed the Raptors to the brink. Um, there or is the Bucks team. not... Or even that Bucks team, right? Yeah. So, I, I think... Um, I mean, look, the Raptors did ultimately get this opportunity done. I'm, I'm not entirely sure if it was, like, you know... Uh, I don't know if there were any counters or anything that were really put into it. It, it, feel, it felt like um, the three teams that ultimately made that deal, they were all pretty happy with what they got out of it. Um, so I, I guess the question, Grange, now is like, what is the plan now for Toronto, right? Because I think a lot of people are sort of left a little bit cold um, uh, after, you know, thinking about the prospect of this superstar coming to Toronto and obviously he doesn't come to Toronto. Um, what, what is what is the next order of business for, for the Raptors? Besides media day on Monday, which... <laughs> We'll probably have a lot of these questions anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think they just—I just think that they are aren't in a much different situation than they were. I think they see themselves as a team that's uh, got some future assets available, as they've shown. There's a willingness that they'll they'll part with them if needed. Um, you know, they have the bones of a pretty good team, but it's you know, I think it's clearly missing maybe that centerpiece player. Um, because I, I think they clearly don't necessarily see Pascal Siakam as being that. And and so I think it's just kind of status quo. It's hope that Scotty Barnes improves, hopes that OG Ananobi, you know, incrementally keeps improving, um, hopes that, you know, Darko, Darko has an impact and can kind of draw a little bit more out of this group than, than you know, they demonstrated with Nick. Hope that Pascal Siakam, you know, in a really critical year for him, um, as you know, maybe his, uh, you know, his best year yet and, and, and then be flexible for the next opportunity because that can only be the path, right? Because there clearly is zero interest or, uh, urgency to kind of rebuild and sell off. And, you know, they, they just don't want to do it and mm -hmm. uh, they've had opportunities to do it and they haven't. Um, I don't see why that would change. I mean, it could change this year, but that certainly doesn't seem to be the direction they've they've chosen. 
And so all it can be is uh, incremental internal improvement and, mm-hmm. you know, be ready when the next opportunity arises. And it's uh, it can be I understand why people would be frustrated by that, because it's, you know, people like some certainty, right? Like they like a path, yeah, they yeah. like a direction. They want to be able to chart it, uh, you know, step by step. And that's not really going on here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, clearly. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's you know stay ready so you don't have to get ready it's kind of their their whole mantra as an organization right now yeah and look i I don't i don't even think this necessarily like that unwise um you know i think this is again how you how you have to do it right and if you're going to build from the middle which is what the raptors have done um from the entirety of a size tenure outside of at the very start of a kind of trying to tank for Wiggins at that moment but the Raptors obviously became so good in that moment that he pivoted away from that strategy also thanks to the Knicks for turning down the Kyle Lowry trade <laughs> uh, but like this is what he's done he, he's built from the middle and when you build from the middle you need to accumulate assets develop them you know give yourself a good profile as like a winning team that people want to you know come here and, and I don't know if they want to stay in the case of Kawhi but ultimately like you know a competitive team with a good reputation which I think they still are that to some degree, and um, and then yeah, move some of the pieces. But I think that then it's imperative that you keep your pieces, right? And so, obviously, there's three impending free agents, um, unrestricted free agents on the Raptors uh, going into this season: Pascal Siakam, OJ Anobi, Gary Trent Jr. They can all hit unrestricted free agency next summer. They're all extension eligible, so or at least Pascal will be soon. But yeah, um, let, let's talk with Pascal. Is, is there any? are we are we close to an extension or have the two sides talked um because it would make a lot of sense to to lock him in maybe not at the supermax well definitely not at the supermax but if you can get him in at the four-year 192 i mean we see that like drew holiday even at age 33 has plenty of value so there's no reason not to lock in pascal at least in my opinion but i would like to hear uh what, what you what your thoughts on yeah well i mean i wrote this uh, last night uh, there's there's been no uh progress on an extension at all um you know there's been no um approach from toronto there's i think i certainly i think from you know the player side they would absolutely want to jump on it um but uh right now it's kind of a wait and see and um but what are they waiting and seeing with grant i mean like (laughs) we've seen pascal in the the organization for like eight years yeah i mean i think that there's there's um, kind of, uh, again, I mean, this hasn't been laid out for me, but you know, okay. I think that there's kind of like a risk mitigation element to this, right. Is, is, um, they don't have to extend the player till next June. And so the longer they, you know, the sooner they do it, the more risk they absorb, right. Cause all of a sudden he's on your books and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's, um, anything can happen at that point, but I think they want to see how he fits with Darko. I think they want to see how he fits with Scotty as Scotty's role expands. I think they want to see, um, you know, how much they want to, they have to pay him, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I can say with a fair bit of confidence that, you know, even had he been, an all NBA player last year or ends up being one this year. I don't think there's a, an appetite to, to, to make it, to make him a supermax type player. I think, okay, um, you know, had he, 
you know, had Pascal come through and been a top five player, like when he stated those things at media day last year, um, you know, the translation of that is I'm in the MVP race, right? I'm, I'm, sure. yeah. I'm getting votes. I'm Mike. And the only way to be an MVP is to put up monster stats and do it in a winning program. And, um, you know, he put up good stats on a team that was kind of okay. And um, so absent that, even if you end up becoming a third team all NBA and he was pretty, he was probably pretty close. He wasn't too far from it. Um, you know, did you, you know, I don't think you want to supermax that. And yeah, that's I fair. Think, that's fair. I think going forward, again, I'm not speaking from authority here, but um, do you, I think you want to see exactly how much value he can create for himself in this environment. And um, it's not, I'm sure what Pascal wants to hear and it's kind of maybe confusing for the player and it's uh, it is what it is, but um, they have the leverage to, to kind of work this out and, or play this out. And, and I think that's what's going on. And um, in the meantime, if there's other opportunities, I mean, I think, you know, they definitely were very, very open to trading him in uh, in the off season. And it looked like a while for a little bit that it was actually, you know, it was going to happen. Um, so it's, um, you know, my that's understanding. The <clears throat> that's the Atlanta deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, you know, all of that said, you know, Pascal's in Toronto, you know, he's, he's, uh, opening courts his his foundations in overdrive. He's, uh, you know, he's, you know, from all accounts is in great shape. He's doing the OVO stuff and it's all good. Right. And this is where it's on the player in a way to kind of, you know, like we always okay. say, this is this is what the money's for, right? Is is your job is not to be comfortable. Your job is not to be uh, have everything, you know, exactly mm-hmm. as you might like it. Your job is to perform at a really really high level in order to, you know, get what you want. And uh, that's I think where the Raptors have it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess I not mean, that different from where it was in the summer or even I guess last year as well. Um, but. Uh, well, I mean, to your bigger point, I mean, I think that's that is the thing is I think that's where a lot of things are like, I mean, and that's where I would say, you know, management is running some risk here is, um, you know, last year was, a, you know, by their accounts. Right. And certainly by accounts I've been able to gather was a difficult year for everybody. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, for sure. Nick wasn't happy. Fred wasn't happy. <laughs> Pascal wasn't happy. Like it was a tough mm-hmm. year. They did. And, and yeah. You know, was that the reason they underperformed if they did underperform? It's, it could be, right? We don't know. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, when you look at the circumstances involved, how many of them are different? Like you've changed the coach. Okay. But, you know, you still have a, a really good player in Pascal Siakam who's kind of uncertain about his future. You have a player in OG Ananobi who's, uncertain about his future you have gary trent jr is uncertain about his future you've got you know dennis schroeder i mean he's on a two-year deal but you know he's you know i'm sure already looking for his next deal in his in his own way um and all this working for for you know an unproven head coach and um it could go great (laughs) right but it might not yeah and uh you know and i think if and if it doesn't go well then I think, you know, the questions have to get kind of pointed, like how much of this is because you've your approach, while understandable, right? Like we can logic out why, you know, all these steps have been taken or more are not taken. But, um, 
you know, does it really, uh, is it, you know, has it worked out in your favor? And, and we won't know that until the ball goes up. Yeah. I mean, all this talk about mitigating risk, all this talk about being flexible, they seem very inflexible on the idea of being flexible and in not trying to incur more risk, like for example, extending Pascal, uh, they are incurring some risk in upsetting Pascal in the meantime, which I mean, again, like he's a big boy, he's getting paid lots of money. I don't think it's going to tangibly affect him that much, but at the same time, you know, you do open up this opportunity where, you know, you have all these uncertainties, um, and yeah, that 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 comes with its own version of risk. Okay, two more questions, Grange, and I'll let you go. Uh, OG and Gary, any any extension uh, traction on the, on that front? Yeah, I mean, on, on the Gary, I I don't know. I I haven't because uh, there was that uh, Chris Haynes report that came out yeah. like right after he opted in in like late June, which said that the Raptors are gonna you know extend him. I thought maybe okay, if the Dame thing is happening, maybe you hold it up, right? Of course, he could have. He was, you know, part of this game, the Dame offer. You don't extend him at that time because you know you could potentially move him in a deal. Deals moved over, opportunity's gone. You know, is the money going to be there now? Yeah. So uh, the uh, short answer is I don't know. Um, okay. And uh, and then on the on the OG thing, I think it's just you know. If he opts in for 117 million, I mean, you know, he's selling himself short. I think it's pretty clear his okay. his number is going to be north of well north of 30 million a year. So um, well north of 30 a year. Wow. Well, like he's looking at four times 117. That's 30 anyway, right? Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you're right. You know, so all of a sudden you're you're you know like is it going to be 35 million? Oof. Is it going to be 40? I mean, you know, it depends on the cap going up and all that, but. Um, mind you, there's got to be someone out there who can fit them in under a under a sure in their cap space. But but uh, I don't think that there's going to be any rush on his part to be signing an extension. Yeah. Oh, I was actually asked about this from Sean Kaiken. Do you do you, do you know why OG changed agencies from from Clutch to CAA? Besides the fact that he was represented by Omar Wilkes and then he Omar left Clutch and so he had no agent. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, he was interviewing that's a number of agents, a okay. uh, number of agents last year, and and uh, you know, once yeah, he went to Clutch because of Omar. Uh, yeah. Omar left Clutch, and so you know, I don't think he felt any particular obligation to be there, and so he, you know, I I know he interviewed a handful of different agents, and you know, uh, so I don't think that there's anything too crazy to read into that. It's just gotcha. you know, comfort level, I would guess. All right, actual last question. Um... Yeah, what what's the long term future of Masai and Bobby? I feel like it's it's weird to ask this, and it's maybe too complex to ask this. But like, why do they offer new deals? And I think without anything like, I mean, you compare it to the last negotiations, you win a championship that puts a lot of like, you know, uh, leverage on the table. Like, hey, I did this, therefore I deserve this big new deal. Based on the last like three four years um, that they've been under co- this new contract. Not the same level of like leverage in terms of like, hey, here's this you know huge prize I brought for you. Here's the next deal I want. So, yeah, I mean, what what is the long term future of Masai and Bobby? Um, I mean, I think they're pretty secure. Uh, okay, you know, like, like just asking, just asking. Yeah, no, know. it's fair. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I think uh, Masai's deal has at least three years left on it. Um, okay. and you know, I think as long as Larry Tannenbaum's in the fold, there'd be zero appetite to to make a change there i mean i think that that relationship is as solid as they come um could bobby look to make a move 
and and you know he's gets rumored when some of these opportunities come open. I mean, I think the flip side is is you know Bobby has a knows that he has a really good job here, <laughs> and and so okay. I don't think he's ever shown a real rush to to kind of you know you know Bobby. He's not like I have to be yeah. front and center about everything. So I don't think that's he really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean I think uh, it's going to be status quo and and. Um, yeah, you and I can parse over the last couple of three years, and and really the the what really stands out is that they're they just have not filled the pipeline with players uh, from yes. the bottom end yeah. the way they yeah, did sure. so incredibly. Um, you know, I think what's emerging is those three years where they found so many good players and developed them. Uh, you know. They deserve a ton of credit for that, but there might have been some luck involved, <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah. and, yeah, uh, and I think fair. here they're in a situation where you know they're they're it's kind of regression to the mean. Like you know you're gonna if you're picking second round or you're relying on second round picks to change your franchise, well, it does, or late mm-hmm. first, like it just doesn't happen very often. So um, I think you know by that same logic they're probably due to kind of catch a break here or there, but. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that there's um, a movement internally to, you know, kind of re-examine their performance in any major way. That's fair. That's fair. Well, Grange, uh, appreciate your time um, this morning. And uh, yeah, the season's been quite busy. Media day on Monday. And I'm sure you'll be flying out to uh, cover the team as they head into Darko's first training camp with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, so, you know, enjoy, I'm saying enjoy your last weekend of freedom, Grange, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, uh, I plan to enjoy my last couple of days here. Yeah. That's, that's, that's always the goal. Big thanks to Michael Grange for bringing us to insight, uh, around Damian Lillard and also just around the Raptors at the outset of uh, training camp. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back, I'm going to give some, uh, of my own thoughts on this Dame trade situation and also just the Raptors overall. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Swain Malou. Uh, thanks once again to Michael Grange for coming on and giving us insight uh, on the Damian Lillard trade saga and also what else is happening around the Toronto Raptors. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned before the break, I wanted to come back and debrief and just give some thoughts. But before I even go there, uh, I wanted to alert you to uh, a fundraiser that is up for Tass Mellis of the starters. Um, Tass was struck by a car last week in Atlanta. Uh, and he suffered some head injuries. Uh, he was sent to hospital. Um, the good news, the great news, is that he's been stabilized. He's been moved out of ICU. He's talking. He's been able to move around. Um, but he's still under, you know, care uh, in the hospital. There is a GoFundMe set up uh, for him. Um, I saw that uh, it's already got quite a few donations, which is awesome to see. It reflects the amount of love and impact that, um, you know, the starters and especially Taz has put out into the world. I mean, he's been, you know, so, so important um, as somebody who made it from Toronto, made it to the States, made it obviously along with the rest of the group. One of the original podcasters in basketball, we're we're talking like 15 years at least in the game. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's just really, really sad. I know he's going to have people to care for him. I know that, uh, you know, he's going to get back on the show eventually on his own time. I know that the show will keep going right now with the starters because they're a team and the other guys to step up. But in the meantime, you can find it. Um, you can find the GoFundMe and contribute there. It's up on Jay Skeets' Twitter page. Um, but just want to send my best wishes to Tess, friend of the program for sure. And um, yeah, scary, scary times, man, scary times. 
Um, okay, there's no way to pivot from that to the Damian Lillard trade saga without uh, it sounding a little bit trivial. So I'm just going to make a hard pivot and just kind of move on. But I wanted to share essentially three takeaways from this whole situation, right? And I think that um, the first thing for me is thinking about the Dame trade that the Raptors ultimately offered. And um, just to recap, you know, Grange, you know, rehashed it in the first half there. The trade package was largely going to be built on. It's largely built on future assets, right? We're talking about a lot of expiring salary, right? Um, Gary, Chris, Thad, Otto, um, and then Grady was the one pick, one player that had some salary but wasn't expiring, but he's on his rookie scale deal. Largely, that contra- that that offer was built around future picks, right? Three up to three first round picks, uh, and then two swaps. What's confusing to me is I don't fully know how the Raptors were going to keep that group together. Because I, I understand based on the paper, like, okay, if you were going to acquire Dame, you want to be as competitive as possible. Therefore, you keep all your most important starters. And with all due respect to Gary, um, he is their fifth most important starter. And you are replacing that or you're upgrading from that to 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 Damian Lillard, right? So, you know, it is what it is. One of those situations. However, these guys are also scheduled to get paid, right? And so if we're assuming a couple of things, which are very, very likely in this case, that if you were going to trade, if that trade had gone through for Dame and you acquired Dame and the $200 million left on his contract, you keep all the other high earning players and you can retain them going forward because guys like Pascal and OG are you know due for new contracts. If we're going to make the assumption that Pascal gets not the super max, but just the regular max four years, 192, and if we assume that OJ Anobi doesn't agree to his current extension, which is four years, $117 million, that's the max that Toronto can offer. As you heard from Grange, that seems unlikely for, for OG to take, considering he can make more than that. Let's say OG makes four one thirty. okay? Um, just a little bit more than his current max extension. Who knows? It could go even higher. We just saw Jeremy Grant go for like four one sixty. So, you know, I, I'm even might be underselling that, right? Assuming that Pat, you get Dame... You keep that group together. You pay Pascal. You pay OG Anobi. Dame, Scotty, Pascal, OG, Jakob Pertle. Just the five of those guys alone, plus the other guys on the Raptors roster, which would be Dennis and Christian Coloco in this case, because you've pretty much wiped out everybody else, uh, and McDaniels. That would have cost you about $160 million for the 2024-2025 season alone. For That's eight players. The cap is $134 million this year, so it's never going to be jumping $20 million in the next year. So the Raptors would be over the cap, they'd be right there on the luxury tax, and we would have eight players under contract just going to next year. That That's just next year alone. The following year in 2025-2026, assuming then at that point that you've given Scotty his rookie max extension at 25% of the cap, and the cap would be like, let's say 140 million at that time. So roughly you're getting, you know, Scotty like $35 million to start. Um, just the starting five alone of Dame, Scotty, Pascal, OG, Jakob, having paid, you know, uh, Pascal, OG, and Scotty what they're owed in the next, you know, two years, that those, just the starting five alone would have cost like 180 million. I, I'm, I'm estimating here. Just, just you know, rough math. 180 million in 2025, 2026. The luxury tax this year is 165 million, by the way. So you're getting into repeater tax territory, and you might say, "Well, look, listen, that's that's two years, three years down the line. People, they they could have made some other moves." I 
they probably would have had to make some other moves because um, I, I wasn't like part of my thinking in terms of just building these trade packages around OG Anobi is that yes, you are bringing in Dame's huge contract, but you are moving out OG who's going to get a huge contract, right? So you can offset it a little bit, you can balance it out and you know, at least for the next two years, you'll be okay. Scotty's extension kicks in. You're probably hitting the luxury tax at that point, but you could pivot off of that point as well, right? Um, I just didn't fully understand the Raptors opting to only put in future picks and expiring contracts into this because even just financially, like you would have had maybe eight, you had eight players and you would already be in the luxury tax. And I just didn't think the Raptors have ever been at any point in their franchise a team that expends to that degree into luxury tax. It'd be great if they did. It'd be, you know, I would argue it'd make them more competitive. But, I mean, at the same time, we've seen the Raptors pay into luxury tax once in their franchise history, and that was for the 2019 team. And they weren't deep into the luxury tax either, let's be honest, right? They would have been the following season had they re-signed Kawhi and Danny. I'm sure they would have been cool with paying the luxury tax to defend their championship with their full group. But the history of it remains that we're talking about the Raptors are going up on 30 years now as, as a franchise, almost 30 years. They paid the luxury tax once. So you would have had to pay it for like two years at minimum um, if you were going to go with this group. So that was a little bit concerning to me. I, again, all, all, the money aspect is all pretty concerning in the sense that like everybody's just due to for more and more and more. And whether that's going to cut down on their trade value, we'll see. I, I still think that there is value for sure on Pascal on a max deal if OG takes a little bit more of a step I think there's value on OG on a max deal and I think that there is value on Scotty on a max deal for rookie scale max deal at least um if he takes one or two steps in his development as well so um for me personally like I said in the first half I would like to see them extended already um you know as much as possible but uh yeah, it's going to get expensive. And if you're going to add Dame on top of all those other pieces that you're going to keep, it, it was going to get... I don't, I don't even know how they were going to fund it. I, I actually don't know. I, I, I'm not totally sure what the strategy was there. So that was my first thought was, how was it even possible to, to keep Dame and all the other supporting pieces around it? I think my second thought on this whole process is just like, what type of team do the Raptors actually want to be, right? And I think that to me, there are like... For the most part, if you want to put them in broad categories, there are three general strategies going on in the league right now, right? There are the championship or bus teams. Um, those are Milwaukee, obviously, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, Denver, LA Clippers, LA Lakers, Phoenix, Golden State, and Dallas. Those are the teams that basically, if they're not in the conference finals next year, it's going to be a huge disappointment. Um, and it's going to raise a lot of questions about their older roster and all the stars um, that they're committed towards competing around. Okay. Those are championship robust kind of teams. In terms of the teams in the middle tier, I would say those are the teams that already have a star, probably a younger star, and they just want to add more and eventually get to that championship robust reign. And for me, that's Cleveland. You could even argue Cleveland's already in the championship robust kind of territory based on the moves that they made in the offseason. They definitely want to compete. Looks like Donovan Mitchell will probably ask out eventually or just leave in for agency. You know, he's not signing that extension. Uh, in Cleveland, so there might be even more urgency. They're they're almost they're almost a bit in championship or bust, which is awkward, obviously, because they lost in five in round one. They lost to the New York Knicks, who they have a star. They have they have Jalen Brunson, uh, and they want to add more. Um, but I wouldn't say that they're championship or bust this year. 
Um, they're definitely trying to find what the next uh, deal is going to be for them. Brooklyn, you know, they have Mikael Bridges, uh, but they want to add a little bit more. I wouldn't say that they're anywhere close to championship contention. Atlanta, um, they I don't actually see the upside in terms of like what the roster is, but obviously they want to. They have a star in Trey Young, and they want to add more. They want to trade for Pascal, so they're clearly in this group. Indiana. Kind of similar to Atlanta, quite honestly, with Tyrese, but also trying to add more. We'll see what um, Buddy Heald's situation, how that resolves, because he seems to want out because they couldn't extend him. Uh, Memphis, which, weirdly enough, even though they've been super competitive, I still wouldn't say they're championship robust. Um, but obviously, they have their young core. They want to, you know, take the next step. Minnesota already pushed all in, but, you know, they, as long as they have Anthony Edwards, they still have other avenues to build around him you know we'll see what happens with cat uh okc new orleans utah those are the teams i would say already has a star and they want a little bit more then there's the group at the bottom which is just teams that are just tanking for the next star right they don't have one on the roster and they want to make sure that they can get one somehow uh washington is on this list for me orlando could probably already be has a star and wants more i'm not entirely sure what orlando's intentions are but if you want to argue that they already have a star or maybe have two stars in franz wagner and paolo Boncaro, uh i'm happy to move them out of this list but to me it seems like at least for the next year they're probably gonna get another lottery pick so washington orlando charlotte detroit portland houston san antonio those are the teams that are pretty much tanking for the next star um or at least trying to get to the point where they can even be in the playoffs. Um, the two teams I in the entire league that I really haven't mentioned in, in those three groupings, I genuinely don't know where to put them, are Toronto and Chicago. And those are the two teams where I'm just like, what are you actually trying to do? You don't really fit, not even neatly, you don't fit at all into any of these three boxes. You just have teams that obviously... We're in the play-in last year. The two teams played each other. Let's not rehash that, uh, how that went, for especially for Toronto. Um, but, like, not sure what the ambitions are. The rosters are fairly expensive. Um, I would say Toronto has a better long-term future than Chicago, given the fact that I don't think anyone in Chicago has the potential of Scotty Barnes. Um, but ultimately, the roster is pretty expensive, um, in the case of Chicago, they already have, you know, most of their guys locked up. You know, Zach Levine's on a max. DeMar's on a max. They might have to pay him again. Um, and they're not competitive right now. And they don't really have this, like, brilliant future that, the, that they can sort of pivot towards either. So those are the two teams I'm really confused about. Not surprised that both teams, I guess, were in on Damian Lillard. It seems like Toronto were more seriously in on Dame than Chicago. Um, but they might be situations, especially Toronto, where it's like, depending on the opportunity that arises, that can decide the direction for the organization. So to me, those are the question marks. And honestly, out of 28 teams in the league, I understand what they're doing. The fact that Toronto is one of the two teams that, you know, I don't understand alongside Chicago of all teams, it, it's not it's not encouraging because I wouldn't say anyone would, would uh, compliment Chicago uh, on uh, their roster building pretty much ever since like, you know, MJ left. Like <laughs> they've just been in the wilderness for a long time. Um, outside of like maybe two good, really good Derrick Rose years uh, before he got hurt. So, I mean, it, the fact that Toronto doesn't really fit in nicely into that kind of situation uh, is concerning to me. I mean, I also think that like if you're Toronto and you want to continue to do this building from the middle thing and you're just waiting for the next, you know, star player to ask out, you know, you're, you've already said to yourself, I'm not going to tank and, and just play through the draft. 
right? We've seen the Raptors not do that. Grange also confirmed that as well. We've seen the Raptors pretty much forego for agency, at least for stars. A, because um, the Raptors don't have that kind of market that they can sign these kind of superstars in for agency. There's literally zero track record of this throughout their entire history as an organization. And we don't have to get into all the reasons, you know, coal taxes, all that kind of stuff. Um, just outside of USA, all that kind of stuff. But regardless, they're just not going in that direction. And also Masai himself even said it, right? Like free agency is dead. It's all about trades now, which I actually think he's, he's pretty correct on that assessment. Most stars move through trade these days, right? Uh, like the biggest star that changed hands this, this summer was Fred. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, you're going to have to trade for these kind of guys, like like in the Dame situation here. So you're essentially limiting yourself to only adding to the team through disgruntled stars through trade. That's like the one avenue the Raptors are, are actually willing to move. And that's reflected by the fact that they were kind of in on the KD trades, but realistically the contracts at that time just didn't really make sense um, to, to, to move. In, uh, they didn't have, the, I think, the flexibility to, to move for a KD at that time, even if they wanted to trade Scotty, which they didn't. Uh, they would have to add so much extra salary that it would have just destroyed the team. And then Dame in the situation, they had the flexibility, but ultimately they couldn't get the deal done. Um, so they'll wait for the next opportunity. And, you know, if that is the case, the Raptors are in a good position. Let's say they're good, right? Because uh, following next summer, right, 2024, the Raptors will own control of all of their first round picks. They can swap all of their first round picks as well. So, you know, that right there is already a good basis to start. Uh, if they successfully manage to lock in Pascal to a max deal that isn't a super max, that to me is also a really good trade asset, right? Because whether you want to flip him into a deal to get more picks, to flip into the next star, to use those picks, uh, as long as Pascal stays healthy, I don't really see, based on his work ethic, how there's going to be a drop-off in production for him. Um, and teams will still want him at that at, at, at that number. Um, if Supermax were talking about a different scenario, it might be well, would be a lot harder to move. But to me, if they're able to lock in Pascal, that's a good asset that they have. OG on a max, I again, like I said earlier, I think he just needs to take that offensive leap. Actually, has to happen for OG because otherwise, OG on a max deal just doesn't seem that ideal to me. Like, how much actual value is there on that contract? Like, I'm not saying is there value on him as a player. Absolutely, there's value on him as a player, as a defender, as a three point shooter. A lot of teams can use OG. That could be the difference from a lot of teams in terms of being um, a championship wannabe to a championship contender like og to me is like a finishing piece he would fit in on you know like all the championship contenders that i listed earlier milwaukee boston philadelphia miami denver la clippers lakers phoenix golden state dallas the only team that i don't see og and Obi even starting for and playing a big role for is like the clippers and that's only because they have paul george and Kawhi. every other team og would play a massive role maybe boston as well actually boston might slash out of that but yeah like OG will fit great on all those teams. However, when you sign him to a max, it's totally different than what he's carrying on right now, which is $18 million. A lot of these teams want to trade for him right now. You can slide him in, and then you whatever. You slide him in on a lower number, and then you can pay him whatever you want at that point onward. You don't have to give up that much to match 18 When you pay him $35 million, there is no way that teams like Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, Miami, Denver, Clippers, Lakers, Phoenix, Golden State, Dallas, they don't have $35 million just sitting around to add OG and Obi to it, it would require them to take a huge piece out of it. Therefore, the value of the trade 
to me, comes down. But then again, if OG makes a, a leap offensively, then all of a sudden you're talking about even more value on the current thing, and then maybe on a max there is more value. Scotty and the rookie max to me is just is, is just there's definitely going to be good value. Uh, I believe in his potential. You know, he he needs like one or two skills to come through for him, whether that's ball handling, whether that's you know uh, jump shooting. But if one of those two things happen for him, I think there's already good value on that, and that would be a really nice trade asset. Or you just build around it, which I think is more likely, right? In terms of the other pieces on the roster that you can get some value out of, right? Can you, we'll, we'll see if we can lock Precious Achua into a rookie extension. Um, he did put out that tweet, a bit of a cryptic tweet season kind of thing. Was he involved in this? Was he offered? Did he catch wind of that? Who knows? I mean, to me, it seems like Masai has shown a lot of love in Precious. Um, he said, finally, you are mine. When, you know, uh, he announced him at the uh, press conference two years ago, um, you know, he the two of them just had a trip together, uh, you know, celebrating the Giants of Africa 20th anniversary. Um, you know, obviously Masai has really valued him wanting to trade for him, um, in, in all the trade Lowry, you know, the Kyle Lowry trade speculation, all the, out of all the options that he could have taken, he chose Precious Achua, right? And so, and he's given Precious a, a large opportunity here in Toronto. So, like, if there are some hurt feelings, you, you got to get all those as a temporary. It's part of the business. Um, but can you lock Precious into a rookie extension? And can he be just good Precious? Because good Precious absolutely has value, um, especially based on what number you get him in on the rookie extension. Um, but, you know, that's another way to create value on the roster. Grady, if he pans out, obviously a great way to create ro- value on the roster. And then Christian, to a lesser degree, I, I just, I feel like for him, it's just his his path to starting minutes is completely blocked by Jakob, right? And they're not going to play alongside each other. They just don't have that kind of skill set. Um, so that is more, that's much more TBD for me, right? Because how much value is there going to be on a backup center? Even if you could be a really, really good backup center, um, I don't I don't know how much trade value like if that is a t- Toronto's war chest going forward is that they have all their firsts they're able to offer Pascal on a max contract if they're able to offer OG uh, on a max if they're able to o- offer Scotty on a rookie max if they have Precious who breaks out a little bit um, on, a, on a good value deal if they have Grady that's not bad that's not bad that can get you a lot of conversations but I think the bigger question is just the same thing as this one right how much can you actually subtract from the Raptors current core to add in a star to still be competitive because to me the Raptors don't feel flush you know like any like if the Raptors were to move some of these pieces like you, you even look at this Dame Lillard situation they opted mostly to trade expiring contracts and future first because they felt like they needed all the rest of the pieces uh, to compete. So if you're going to be in the star hunting business, you need extra pieces to compete. Not that you need every single piece to actually compete. So that to me is a little bit confusing. Um, I also think that like, look, if, are you really like playing this like star acquisition game or not? Because if you really are like teams really go all in on these situations and, and it doesn't mean that they go all in on every opportunity, right? I think that's where as fans, like, you know, patience, I think, is definitely missing and is definitely needed in, in a way because even look at Miami, for example, they're absolutely a star hunting team. Miami's a better star hunting location, to be clear, because um, not only can they trade for guys, but uh, they also have guys just outright sign with them, right? You look at the last decade um, or maybe a little decade plus, but they've had Chris Bosh up and willingly sign with them. Dwayne Wade signed with them. You saw Jimmy Butler sign with them. Kyle Lowry signed with them. Like, like, you know, 
stars obviously go to Miami. All right, it's, it's a it's a, destined, it's a wanted situation. Dame Lillard requested the trade specifically to Miami, um, so they have you know the warm weather, no taxes, all that kind of stuff that's already built into their current offers. But they've been essentially also waiting on you know, the same scenario as as Masai. Pat Riley's strategy has also been we have you know, this opportunity to trade for this next star. So let's see who's disgruntled. And, and they've knocked on the door for like Bradley Beal. They've knocked on the door for, you know, James Harden back in the day. They've knocked on the door for obviously Dame in the situation, Giannis. And they haven't pulled off that trade either, right? So, you know, there is sort of that uh, patience element that you have to factor in here. But like, are you really, really about this game or not? Because to me, it seems like the, the missing element to you know, this idea of trading for stars is you kind of need a superstar to try to recruit other superstars, right? Because that, that to me feels like what entices players to go join up, right? Like what enticed Damian Lillard to expand his trade destinations list from just Miami to also Brooklyn and and and, and Milwaukee, which ultimately he went to. Well, it's because he saw stars on the other places that he wanted to link up with, right? He wanted to link up, for example, with Mikel Bridges, in Brooklyn, right? He wanted to link up with Giannis in Milwaukee. And I'm sure that sort of factored in. And the original ask of going to Miami, he wanted to link up with Bam and Jimmy, right? Because they already have existing superstars. Part of the issue there is just Toronto doesn't even have that core superstar where it's like, okay, stars look at that situation and say, I'm going to play with him, right? I don't think any star in the league is looking at Toronto and saying, I want to play with Pascal Siakam. Get me there. I want to play with Scotty Barnes. Get me there. I want to play with OJ Anobi. Get me there. Like, you just can't envision teams doing that, right? So, again, like, not only is it important for you to have the right trade assets to make this trade, but you also need that drawing, like, factor to bring it in in the first place. So, you almost need a superstar in order to even play in the superstar game. It's like it's like going into your first job interview and they're like, we will require experience. Uh, but you're like, how am I going to get experience if every job requires experience? It's like that in terms of superstars. How are you going to get a superstar if you don't have one already? So that one to me is is, is quite confusing um, because, you know, I, I again, I just don't fully see how the Raptors are going to play this game. Um, and, and then also, like, ultimately, like, what are you kind of building towards, right? Like, is... Uh, you know, like, are, are, we, are we just trying to sell tickets? Are we trying to keep jobs? Like, what is the current, like... Um, appeal of the current group i'm not saying that like especially as a longtime raptor fan i'm not saying that like i'm too good to watch a 500 team right i would not say that at all this team for the record is over the 30-year history of the raptors probably a top 10 team even just this team currently right like this is i would still say it's an upper third in terms of all teams that have ever represented for the toronto raptors in terms of talent in terms of watchability in terms of appeal right that's because i know goddamn well that there's like 15 years of this franchise at minimum that are just like pure trash right and just like really really bad teams that were had no upside that had no chances to even trade for a star had no value and had players asking out all that kind of stuff i understand all that right but i also think the front office has to really understand that like there is not the same appetite and patience as before when you win a championship expectations completely change generations of fans have come in now right we're talking about original you know original 95 you know starting out that kind of or that that generation of fans they're definitely cool with waiting because they've waited a long time and they're honestly for the most part pretty happy they probably never thought they'd see their team win a championship they probably never see their team 
you know, host an all-star and have multiple all-stars and, and be watchable and be, you know, featured and all this kind of things and, and win awards and all that kind of stuff. Like probably didn't think about that. So for that generation, for the, by the, you know, by a large part, they've suffered. So a little bit more suffering is not like detrimental to them, right? It's not like a deal breaker for them. Um, there's that middle generation, maybe the Vince Carter generation, let's just say, where it's like, okay, we see what it's what it's like when it's good. We have also seen what it's like when it's really bad. For the most part, they also understand what suffering looks like, and they're okay with it. Um, and they're like, okay, look, listen, there is this perspective of what the highs looks like. We want to get to that high, but realistically, we know what the lows look like. And if we stuck through those, if we watch Chris Humphrey as, as a Raptor, if we watched Hafa Rujo as a Raptor, then we're okay with watching like Precious Ochoa as a Raptor. You know what I mean? Like, and not to compare those, Precious is way better than those two guys. Um, then there's the next generation, which is like the 2013, 14, we the North generation. And for that generation and the one that came after, which was just the 2019 championship portion of the fan base, their perspective does not have any of that, like, you know, trash and deluge that like the, the original Raptor fans or even like the pre 2010 Raptor fans even had to come through. Right. It's been literally all sunshine and roses. Like, yes, there's Lebronto. Yes. There's like Tampa that looked kind of bad, but realistically those are one-offs, right? Like you could say, well, Lebronto, like how much can you really complain? You're losing in the conference finals or the second round of the playoffs. A lot of times, like the original fans, you didn't even see one, like, you were lucky to see one round of playoff victories. I'm not even kidding. Like one round was like the most the Raptors have ever won, right? Even at the height of Vince, they won, they won one round and it was a best of five and they won it in five games, I believe. Um, I wasn't there for that. That's it. Everything else was first round losses and bad rosters around maybe one star, maybe not. That was, that was it. That's the whole 20 years leading up to that point. And then you just seen nothing but success, Right. Team every year they go from 48 to 49 to 56 to 53 back to 58 to 59 like championship like every single everything is good everything is good everything is good everything is good for that generation of fan and especially for the generation of fans that came in from after the championship there is not patience for this kind of thing like they are expecting top tier they're expecting the Raptors to operate like they're the Lakers of you know they're the Showtime Lakers you know what I mean? Like, they're they're expecting the Raptors to operate like they're the, maybe not Golden State Warriors, but San Antonio Spurs, right? We just expect excellence, you know, and, and a chance to compete for championships and any player we draft turns into gold kind of thing. Like, that's the expectation. And so, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, like, people need to expect things differently or anything else. I'm not saying that. All I'm pointing out is that for this current generation, after you won a championship, expectations are different. So you can't, and especially because so much of um, basketball now is not just consumed, like, you sit down, you watch the game, and then you think about it, you maybe, you know, but, like, nowadays, it's the average consumption for a fan is you wake up, you look at your news aggregator, whether that's Twitter, whether that's Instagram, whether that's uh, Reddit, one of these social media accounts, right? You, you probably read some articles, you probably listen to some podcasts, you probably watch some YouTube videos while you're trying to do work or pretending to work at work, you're watching some YouTube breakdowns. Uh, you're having some conversations with people through these social platforms that you're on. You watch the game, and then afterwards, you break down the game. You think about, you watch the interviews. You uh, listen to a, a post game reaction podcast. You 
see the takes online, you argue a little bit more, you form your opinion, and then like you just stay in the cycle for like twenty four hours a day. Like if if that 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 is the average fan you're dealing with, right? Like that I really genuinely believe that that's the average fan you're dealing with nowadays. Maybe that's not the average ticket buying fan. Maybe that's not the average like cons- like consumer but generally speaking that's the average person that's interested in basketball these days that's sort of like the pattern or at least they identify with like 75 percent of that pattern you are just not going to keep people satisfied with this current product man like i i don't know what to say like you again well my i guess my whole thing is you can't ask this group to be that patient you know what i mean like appetites have changed consumer appetites have changed and without due respect to the current roster i'm not even saying it's bad again as a longtime after fan i'm i'm cool with watching this uh, I could put it into perspective, and I know what it is. I'm not trying to expect too much out of it, but for this generation, right now, this is not enough. This is definitely not enough, and that's why you see so much annoyance and apathy and you know outright slander towards the front office, towards the roster as a whole. Not only is it not good, but they expect great, and you are not even approaching good. So I'm... I don't know if they're listening to this. I, you know, but realistically, like that message has to come be delivered across, right? And that's why you see even fans getting mad at reporters, for example. They're they're even trying they're trying to find a way to express their frustration and they and it feels like the front office is not responding to that. And I would even say that like part of management is managing expectations. And so what can you do to manage those expectations? Because again, this is where we're at right now. And I, I think my last point about this too, and I kind of touched on already, and I'm sorry, this is like, it's a bit long, but whatever. Um, I also think that like, look, it is being chronically and obsessively online cutting into the enjoyment of the sport, you know? And I think that that's one of my takeaways. I think just following this trade saga and other trade sagas, it's like, I think there's good and bad to trade rumors for sure. Like the good is you imagine these things, you debate the value of players, you debate the merits of trades. Like this is fun. Like that's why people play fantasy sports because they want to actively be involved in sort of these kind of, um, you know, fantasy scenarios. And and there is something good about that. There's something good to, you know, to, to ponder over. I think that the bad is that when you really expect and you know, ultimately, like we're talking about like 90% of the time being let down when you expect and get let down and then you sort of hammer and judge based on limited portion of, of the information. Like, let's be honest, even all due respect to Grange, all due respect to all the reporters out there, you know, they have like a limited scope of like everything that went on, right? They have the things that people want them to know, whether that's the agents want them to know, whether that's the, the teams wanting them to know. Um, you don't actually have the full perspective on the whole situation, but regardless, you have some, you have, they know a field, they know a portion and then they pass off a portion and we're taking that portion of a portion to judge the whole situation. I, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's part of the game, but I, I mean, part, realistically, that is a little bit silly in, in my opinion. I also think the thing that's even more silly is just like being fans of front offices or like really buying into the mystique Um uh, or the exceptionalism of certain uh, front offices. That's really absurd to me in the sense that, like, I understand, like, being a f- fan or, like, standing, like, um, being a fan or standing, like, players, like, they're, like, athletes, like, you can, because you can believe exceptional things about them because you see them display exceptional athleticism, exceptional awareness, exceptional movement, um, you know, exceptional 
reliability and skill like you can see those things and you could be enamored by those like mystical qualities that we see from athletes front office people are just like are just rich people in expensive suits flying private jets to go see high schoolers and and, and college kids play tournaments for half the year going to europe to see players play over there and they're just trying to maintain their jobs as long as possible like that the like there is no reason to stand front office people, uh, and I think that I think having said that, obviously Bobby and Masai have done such a great job of like organizing the team, and they've had a lot of success. And there's no reason not to celebrate them for the success, just like you would celebrate any person that you like for their success. But the, it's very important to even remember while they're successful that they are not exceptional by any means. Like we're like athletes are exceptional, like front office people are again are just expensive suits on expensive private jets watching like collegiate players like that there is no reason i think to to sort of like put stock into the exceptionality of front office people and i think that that's part of the disappointment here is that we're expecting bobby Masai to be exceptional at everything they've done um maybe because they have been in the past but there is no reason to believe that they're, they're just people and they're ultimately what you're trying to see over the long term is just exceptional judgment being made. But then again, it's hard to assess their judgment when you don't even fully know what are the offers on the table, what are the circumstances that go into the offers on the table. You just hope that they create a winning product. And on that front, obviously they haven't delivered. I'm not trying to, you know, redefine expectations because they they're not winning right now. I'm just saying, to have expectations of these people in general is just it's just funny to me they're just people they're just like regular people walking around like bay street you know in suits like i i don't know what else to say about it and i think maybe the last thing is just like a lot of these things are outside of our control like I mean, i'm not saying that it's not fun to watch over these things or create content over these things or you know to share your opinions online like that's all fun to me but like ultimately especially you reach a certain point where people get so upset i'm just like that I guess for me, I can't even get that upset at it anymore. I can get upset at certain games. I can't upset outcomes, but like overall, like I, I reach a point where it just, it's outside of my control and I, and I can't fully worry about it. And ultimately I am trying to find enjoyment out of what I'm doing and what I'm watching. Cause I am investing a lot of my time and my life and my energy into this thing. And so if I can't ultimately control it that much, um, I, I, I there is a certain level where I'm just like, all right, I'm not going to let this upset me to this degree, but those are kind of just like my reactions towards the Damian Lillard trade. Uh, I didn't know how they were going to pay everybody. I don't know what the Raptors strategy of star hunting, if that's actually going to work in the long term, just based on what they have um, available. And yeah, I mean, I guess it's a more of a meta conversation, but like, I don't know if the front office can keep people happy with, with being mid. Like there was, there was a time in my life as a Raptor fan, a long time where I would be very happy to be mid. But we're talking about entirely different generations with entirely different ways of, you know, viewing and consuming sports uh, on the whole. And yeah, it's not going to be easy to please this current group. I'm just telling you. And I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong about it. I'm just saying that that is where we are at. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I'm going to bring you another conversation tomorrow, hopefully, that has nothing to do with Damian Lillard or any of these trade rumors. Um, But I think it's a fairly important conversation to have. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, training camp is going to be training camp. It's going to be on Monday. Uh, once again, tune into our live show from training camp or fr- from media day 
uh, on Monday, October 2nd. Uh, it will be Alex's birthday as well. Send him a birthday wish. Uh, and yeah, we're scheduled to have com- uh, interviews with OJ Anobi and Yaka Pertle as part of that uh, media day show. So tune in then. Uh, otherwise, thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe. And uh, yeah, we're going to see where this roster leads us. Peace.